Hello guys, welcome back to the Treatment Room Podcast. I'm your host, Tessa Zolli, here with my friend Stacy Sitko today, owner of Sitko Skin. Stacy is just such a delight. You might have heard her on Ashley and Josh's podcast, and I'm stealing her today to just chat all about her 23 years worth of experience. I know she just has a ton to offer and some really really good insights for us estheticians. So Stacy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Tess. I'm happy to be here. Aw, well, I am so excited to have you and it's rare to talk to somebody who has as much experience as you do. And I know from listening to your podcast with Ashley that you've been doing this 23 years and you got into aesthetics in high school. I feel like that that is pretty rare. How did you kind of know at that young age it was the direction you wanted to go? I didn't. So I um, I'd started getting facials my sophomore year of high school. My best friend took me to get a facial and I was hooked. And so I got a job at my dad's office. He's a chiropractor at the time. And I got a job working for him just so I could pay for facials. I wasn't even old enough to legally work yet at that point, but I wanted to be able to get monthly facials. So I begged him to give me a job and he did. And then, um, yeah, it just supported my skin habits. (laughs) So when I was a senior in high school, I got into San Francisco State. And I went to tour the campus and it wasn't in the heart of San Francisco. And I was like, what is this tiny little rinky dink college? I want like a college experience. And it felt more like a commuter college. So I was disappointed and I didn't really know what to do with my life. And I kind of on a whim said to my parents, you know, I really love getting facials. I wonder if I would like giving them. And my dad said, that's a great idea. And he immediately enrolled me in beauty school before I could even kind of hesitate on that. And, um, I was really young for my grade. So he made the case that after beauty school, I could still go to college. I'd only be maybe like a semester behind the rest of my peers And I would still graduate at an acceptable age to graduate college. I wouldn't be like this, you know, I wouldn't be very far behind, basically. So I did it. um, And afterwards, I did go to college and I got my first job as an esthetician while I was um, going through college, just like part time. And then got a second job as an esthetician when I transferred schools, colleges, um, And that job I really fell in love with. And so I ended up dropping out of college and just working full-time as an esthetician. And that was it. Did you have any skin concerns in particular or were you just kind of there for the experience getting facials? You know, I was there for the experience, but I did have acne in high school. It wasn't severe um, and it was mostly non-inflamed. And so it wasn't even something that like I looked in the mirror and it traumatized me. I did get that type of acne later in life. I got really cystic acne that was, that was very debilitating. Um, But at that point I was already an esthetician. Hmm. And what was it like being so young starting this career? Because I know you've shared this before. There's a lot that goes into our interactions with the public? And how was that at at such a young age? 
it was hard. It was really hard because, you know, I think anyone that gets into this career has a general personality trait of caring for others and wanting to see others succeed, do well, help be, be of service. Um, and so I, I had all these amazing relationships with these clients that were way older than me. Um, and they were coming to me crying because their husband left them or, you know, they're going through a divorce or postpartum and I couldn't relate to them. I didn't know how to really be there for them other than touch. So I really focused on my massage skill set and energy exchange before I learned, you know, like the hard knocks of life to be able to, you know, better understand what someone's going through because you've lived it. Totally. And when you talk about touch and energy, were those skills that you felt like you innately had or was there any job experience where you learned that? No, they, they came natural. Unfortunately, there's not like some quick trick I can teach everyone. Um, I'm kind of a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> when I was really little, um, well, so my, so my dad being a chiropractor, I was getting massaged from a very early age, which I don't think is very normal in America. Um, so like, at, you know, five, six years old, I was already getting massages. Um, and chiropractic care where people were, you know, touching me and I was very comfortable receiving. And um, I immediately was drawn to it. Like I remember when I was little and this obviously goes way back. Parents wouldn't do this today. But when my mom would go run errands, she would bring my little sister and I in the station wagon with her and she would be gone sometimes for like an hour doing grocery shopping and we'd just be sitting in the car together playing and I got in trouble once because I used up all of her Carmex lip balm to give my sister a massage. I used it as a massage medium. <laughs> I am dying. That is so great. Yes, I just, I loved it. And um, I just have always had that kind of like intuition of my hands just know where to go. Um, so I've, I've definitely honed in on that skill set and, and taken courses to get better at it. Um, but yeah, it, it was something that I always just wanted to do. I would always like rub the shoulders of whoever sat in front of me in any class and, you know, elementary <laughs> school and high school I and love that. kind of stuff, but yeah, yeah. I just like to people. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're a tactile person. And I feel like a lot of SDs can relate even at a young age or in childhood being drawn in some facet to aesthetics. Like I used to make little DIY face masks with my sister or <laughs> I would bathe my hamster in the sink oh gosh, and I loved it. Like any opportunity to clean a dog or like touch somebody's face, I was all over it. You know what? That's funny. I didn't even think about that, but it's so true. Every time I go to LA, I wash my best friend's dog. Like I give her bath. <laughs> Always. That is so funny. What is it? it? It's weird. just like the act of cleansing. I love it. Mm -hmm. There's I something enjoy. like spiritual about it. Definitely. Yeah. And I know you've had some really amazing world-class job experiences, mm. especially from a young age. Do you want to share a little bit about those with the listeners? Sure. So I was maybe four or five years into my career and I had a client at the place that I was working at that worked at a luxury resort spa in Laguna Beach called The Montage. 
And it was, you know, right up there with the Ritz-Carlton and Four Seasons as far as like a luxury experience, high-end, you know, resort spa facility. Um, But they were family owned and there was one location. So it was very niche. Um, She had told me, you got to get a job at Montage. Like you're, you're too good for the place that you're working at. You need to get a job at Montage. So, um, I knew of it. I had seen the spa in a magazine and I had tore the pictures out of that magazine and put it in my nightstand and thought, this is my dream job. Like I would love to work here one day, but I was very, I don't want to say insecure, but you know, when you're new and you're just starting out and you know that you still have so much to learn, I knew that I was kind of in that place Um, And so to me, it was like, oh, well, this is a job for someone who's more qualified, more experienced, like, you know, has has seen the world, you know, kind of a thing. And so it really took her encouragement to get me motivated to apply for the job. And she said, you know, put me down as a reference. It it will help. And so I did. And um, the first time I applied, I didn't get the job. And about six months later, she was like, there's another opening. You need to apply again. I'll make sure you get like at the top of the list for this round or whatever. And so I applied again and I got the job. And um, my first year working there, we were shopped by Forbes and we were the first spa in the country to get awarded a five-star ranking, which was huge. Like they threw a big party for us. It was a huge celebration. And at that point, they decided to invest in their employees And they had a very exclusive training opportunity um, through a company called Aztec that does advanced spa therapy education without being associated to any product line, which is hard to find, right? Like a lot of times we're offered amazing trainings through product lines, but to get training where it's not associated with a product line at that point in time was like unheard of. Um, And so... I told them that I wanted to go through this training and they told me, well, we're only going to put three estheticians through it. So, you know, you really need to prove yourself here. Like if if you want to go into this training, you need to sign a two-year commitment with us. It's a $10,000 training, um, which they paid for, but in exchange for me working there for two years, which I was happy to do. So I got to go through the Aztec training as an esthetician. And then a couple of years later, they decided to open up their second location in Beverly Hills. So I transferred to that location, got my massage license, and went through a second Aztec training as a massage therapist. They taught us Vodder Method manual lymphatic drainage, which is huge for skin health and wellness. Um, They taught us connective tissue massage, which is actually amazing on the face for smoothing fine lines and wrinkles. Um, On the body, it's great for cellulite. It's also really good when someone has um, a muscle spasm and they can't really sit through deep tissue massage. It's actually more effective than deep tissue. Um, So I was able to do that on multiple areas of the body and have a lot of success with that modality. Um, they went through aromatherapy and reflexology. That was my most favorite subject. I got super into aromatherapy. Um, I had out-of-body experiences while I was going through that portion of the training. I do believe in psychic abilities 
<laughs> I just go, I just, whatever I do. I think it's real. Um, and I've, I've never experienced it before. So I didn't really know what was happening, but while I was doing aromatherapy work on my clients, I would start feeling weird emotions that I knew weren't mine. So let's say I was in a really relaxed state and I started working on them and all of a sudden I had a ton of anxiety and I didn't know where it came from. And so I would start talking to some of the um, more experienced therapists that worked at the spa with me. We had like a really great spa family dynamic in our dispensary and we would share and learn from each other. And there was a woman there who was a self-proclaimed psychic and she told me, you are tapping into their emotional like energy. Like you're not, your feeling actually isn't yours. It's theirs. Um, and so she was like, this is the beginning of like a psychic ability. And she was like, I could, I could, yeah. She was like, you know, you could really take a lot of classes and I could guide you to get more into this. But the first thing that you really need to learn is how to protect yourself because you don't on other people's energy all day long, or it's going to burn you out. And I think this is something that all of us do in the industry and we don't even realize it. And you don't need to call it psychic energy if you don't believe in that, but there is an energy exchange with our clients. Even when you're just doing, I'm sure you feel it even just when you're doing Zooms, but also, especially when you're doing touch it just heightens it and takes it to another level. And you really need to learn how to protect yourself, not in a way of you aren't still able to give to your client, but that, that backwash of their energy isn't going into you because it, especially if you're working at a high volume spa where you're seeing six, seven, even eight clients a day, that is the easiest way to burn yourself out and that's, I think, why you don't probably talk to a lot of estheticians that have 23 years experience. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And there's such a physical demand as an esthetician alongside what you're saying, this energy exchange. What are some of the ways you protect yourself while being there for your clients being mm-hmm. a safe space, which is so important, mm-hmm. but without depleting yourself. Absolutely. So um, one of the lessons that she told me was a visualization lesson. And she said, I want you to imagine that you are surrounded by mirrors that are facing out. So nothing can come into your little bubble. Everything is bouncing out. That was a little bit hard for me to do. She gave me another technique where she said, I want you to envision a bright light, just like ray of sunshine coming through your body, filling up your body and shooting out of your hands. And that I love. And I actually do it all the time on clients, Um, especially if someone comes in in a bad place where you're just like, ooh, this air just got real thick, real fast. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. (laughs) So I will do my best to just picture that light from somewhere else up in the sky coming down through me, out of me. And I will literally, while I'm working on them, try to visualize that warm light 
kind of going from their face and just like trickling down and melting through their body until they are just a big bright ray of sunshine too. And, um, you know, what's really fascinating. (laughs) And if you are an esthetician that does hands-on, I highly recommend you try this. When I do this on pregnant women, I can see their baby moving in their belly. I believe it. It's amazing. It's like all of a sudden their belly starts, it looks like popcorn. Like the baby is responding to the energy work. And that's always a sign to me of like, this this is working. This is doing something because this little baby is responding to this energy that I'm trying to infuse into this person, this bright light. It's it's so real. And if you think of the way, you know, if you're nervous, your body can physically shake or your voice can change. It it doesn't surprise me at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that this is such a good lesson to er- to learn early on because it's inevitable. You're yeah. going to be talking with so many different people from all walks of life, all different energies, who knows what they've gone through during their day. I also want to talk about cultivating as much of a positive clientele, Mm -hmm. whether that means energy or people who respect your policies or Mm -hmm. just support your business, because I know you are, you are a total pro with this. Um, Maybe we can talk about possibly like green flags and things you look for in clients maybe versus some things that you've seen over the years that could be potential red flags. Definitely. So for me, a green flag with early interactions with a client is someone who's really proactive. They don't need a lot of handholding. Um, they're very direct because I am. Um, so to me, that's like, okay, we speak the same language. We're going to get along. Mm -hmm. And, um, someone who has read through my rent menu, read through my policies, fills out the, the consult form before they come in, knows where they need to be, shows up on Mm -hmm. time and is maybe referred by another all-star client that is like an MVP for me. Those are all green lights. I don't mind when someone reaches out to me and has like a few questions before they want to book. Um, But someone who does that and takes my information and immediately books would be a green flag versus someone who follows up with more questions and more questions and more questions and doesn't book and puts themselves on my wait list instead. That to me is like, "Mm, maybe you're a red flag. Um, But those are like early signs. Then once you get into actually, you know, working with a client, I feel like if they're a really good fit, they're probably naturally going to rebook before they leave. They're probably going to buy product from you. I personally try to be really detailed with my clients and give them all the information they need for home care. So a a green flag client is not going to be contacting me in between appointments. They're going to reschedule themselves online versus ask me to do it for them. They're going to leave a review, a positive review for me. They're going to refer their friends. And all those things make 
that really respected relationship where I know they respect my time, they respect my policies, you know, um, if they have to late cancel because they're sick, they're usually the type of client that lets me know and says, you know, whatever, you know, if you need to charge my card, let me know. And I'm like, it's good. I got it on file, you know, that sort of a thing. Um, but those are the clients that I try to fill up my books with. And I'm at this point in my career, really fortunate and lucky that if it's not a green flag client and if it is a red flag client, I can just block them and move on and I don't have to deal with them. Lucky me. <laughs> lucky you. And I, I bet a lot of SDs are listening thinking, man, that is bold. I like it. Like I aspire Mm-hmm. to be on that level, but I'm nervous or mm-hmm. maybe you have a little bit of a scarcity mindset mm-hmm. where that doesn't feel super possible or you don't know if you are allowed to do that. Yeah. Could you speak to somebody who is kind of like wanting to be more assured in their business and wants to set these boundaries, but is kind of struggling with that, or maybe they're encountering clients who don't necessarily respect, respect the business. Yeah. I will say, I think that my perspective is unique because for 19 years, I worked for other people's businesses and I didn't have a choice. So once I finally got the choice for me, it was like, oh, this is amazing. I can tell people, no, I'm going to do it all day long. Oh, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but it's because for so long I wasn't able to, and I had to deal with the effects of that, um, you know, while working at the high-end luxury resort spa, that is one of the, you know, red flags of working in an environment like that is that you don't get to say, you know, like, I don't want to work on this person. They're inappropriate. They're rude. They smell funny, whatever, you know, like whatever reason you have for not wanting to work with someone, that's your business. I'm pretty sure we have the right to refuse business if we want to. Um, That's one of the luxuries of living in America, right? So flex that muscle whenever you feel like you need to. And it could be for whatever reason that makes sense for you because it's your business. Um, Of course, there are ramifications sometimes for acting that way. But I feel like I guess the reason why it's so easy for me at this point in my career is because I've seen the aftermath of the client that is the red flag that you continue to work with. I've seen what that does to me, to my home life when I bring those experiences home with me. And at this point, I know that it's just not worth it. And there are some people that are just impossible to please. And so I am very patient. I love working on people from different walks of life, learning new perspectives. I don't care enough about politics to say I would never work on someone with different political views than me. I'm a curious person by nature. So I feel like I give most people the grace of just come in as you are and you will be accepted here. Um, But where I draw my boundary is when a client doesn't respect me or treat me like the professional that I think I am. So if we're not on the same page in that respect, then you are not worth my time. Mm -hmm. And what about, Stacey, a client that just every time they 
are on your books or you see an email from them, you get that feeling in your body. Like it constricts and you're just like, energy suck, like vibe killer. How do you handle somebody who hasn't necessarily violated you, but you just feel like every time they come to the business, it takes away from you in some aspect? Do you feel you can kind of quote unquote fire somebody in that situation? And how would you do that? So the first thing I would do is look at why it's bothering me. What is it about this person that makes me feel that way? Is it the is it is it something that is actually just triggering a insecurity in myself that I need to do some some work on myself? Or is it actually just like they are toxic energy and I really don't care to be around them? If it's the latter, then I do let them know that I don't think that I am the right esthetician for them. And I give them referrals of other estheticians that I think might be a better fit for them. And that's it. Over. Like that's, I'll break up with them. Usually those types of clients don't want to hear that and they want to push back. And I think it's totally okay to just less is more, just say, I'm sorry, but this is no longer working for me, period, done. And you really don't have to respond if they keep coming back to you with more excuses for why you should give them another chance or whatever. That's Mm -hmm. like their piece that they need to say for them, but you don't need to respond to that. No is a complete sentence. (laughs) Period. (laughs) Mic drop. Okay, and what about setting an expectation with your clients. Is Mm -hmm. there a conversation you have in terms of, uh, you know, maybe it's budget or respecting your policies, cancellations? Are these conversations you're having with your clients? Are they assumed? Are they listed on your website? How does that work? I think you're you're setting a boundary of how you want your client to see you and treat you. Mm -hmm. In your menu, with your pricing, before they even connect with you. Someone that charges $0 for a consultation versus someone who charges $200 for a consultation is going to be looked at differently by the public. I don't care how experienced you are. If two people are offering the same service and one person is offering it at a premium price, the person that is looking at those offerings is going to automatically assume that there's more value with the person that is charging the premium. So you're already positioning yourself as an expert and as a professional by charging what you think you're worth. Would you agree? Absolutely. And I know a lot of estheticians are, myself included sometimes, are nervous about raising their prices, but I do find Every milestone that I've done that, it has only (laughs) weeded out the people who don't respect my time and attracted people who automatically respect my time and expertise based on what I can charge. Absolutely. So that's like first and foremost. Now, if I have someone new book with me, which doesn't happen often at this point, but does happen... Um, just because of my limited availability, I will reach out to them and I will let them know that, and I usually text because I feel like people are just 
easier to communicate with in that way. They actually read a text. They don't always read an email. I'll text them and I'll say, thanks for booking. You were sent an email. Please click on the link in the email and fill out the form before you get here. You have my number now. Please save this so that you can contact me when you show up at the building. I'm hard to find. So message me when you're here and I'll meet you at the front door. To me, like, I don't really want to jump into like a ton of conversation with them right out the gates. And I am at this point still comfortable with clients having my phone number. That might change at some point. But um, that's like my typical conversation with someone new that's going to be entering my space. I keep things pretty direct and pretty blunt because I don't want to waste my time with chit chat. Like I'm not getting paid to do that, right? Like if someone books with me, they're paying for an hour of my time. So any information or conversation that I'm having outside of that hour is just, you know, like time that I'm spending on cultivating a relationship, but I'm not necessarily like making money on that. So <laughs> like when it goes back to business, like I think you just need to be really smart about how you spend your time. And that also is communicating with a client. I think that directness is communicating with my client that you're not going to have easy access to me for the chit chat. Like that's not the type of relationship that I'm trying to cultivate. I'm trying to create a relationship where you get me when you block my time and all yours. And then after that, whatever I communicate with you about home care, you assume responsibility for, and you don't talk to me again until I see you next month. It's so much easier to do day one versus Mm -hmm. three months in. And I think that communicates to me that your words are valuable. Your words are an investment. And it makes me feel like, okay, I only get Stacey for an hour. I'm going to make the most of this time. She's not this renewable resource that I can just, you know, take from without, without compensating her. And that is what is fair in a two-way relationship. I agree. And that is the thing that I think most impressed me about your offerings, because I've seen a lot of other estheticians, myself included, that offer virtual consultations But what is really unique to you and I think so brilliant, like you've really just carved out your own niche. It's very freaking cool, Tess. Thank you. (laughs) Shout out to Tess, everyone. That's so sweet. Um, But that you you write it out for them that you're going to have X amount of follow-ups and they're going to be this long and that's it. And they have that for three months time or whatever it is. And then after that, if they need another consultation, they're going to be starting over with you basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I still slip up because I love to <laughs> I love to chit chat and I want to I want to offer all the help I possibly can to improve somebody's life and skin but there's I've realized in doing this for years you just don't have the energy and time to do that all day when your roster grows so you do have to set those boundaries and that actually keeps everyone safe and secure and it, again it's just so much harder to do three months in once somebody's getting used to emailing you every little detail and happening and paragraphs on paragraphs, they just think, oh, this is built into her business. They don't understand it's actually taking away from the business. And then I can develop resentment (laughs) towards the client 
And it's not fair to them because they just thought it was part of the deal. So I appreciate that you set those boundaries up front. Definitely. Especially with um, acne clients. I feel like acne clients, you know, they're going through such an emotional experience that a lot of times they want you to be more than just their esthetician. They need, you know, a therapist too. And so it can get to be like a really emotional attachment. And then they want to send you every single picture of any little pimple that pops up. And so I am very straightforward with anyone that I'm onboarding that I sense has that personality trait or, you know, has a skin condition where I know they're like hyper, hyper aware of everything going on with their face. And I will tell them, you know, like um, between now and the next time I see you, you might purge, you might get dry and flaky. You might do this. You might do that. And I give them scenarios of what to expect. And I let them know how to handle it at home themselves. And I tell them, if you break out in hives and you are itching, you can contact a dermatologist. You can take a Benadryl, you know, like, but I let them know, like, this is the only scenario where I want you to stop using the product if X, Y, or Z happens then stop using it. We'll go over it in your next, you know, you can, you can book a product pickup and you can come in and we can swap it out or you can buy something else like to buffer it, whatever it's going to be. But I'll just like map it out for them. So I'm still like feeling like I have the lead in the relationship and I'm kind of dictating how they can utilize me versus like, I'm here for you, girl, anything you need, because people just run with that. It's like, if you give a mouse a cookie, Yes, which I thought was the way to go when I initially started my business. I didn't have anything else to compare it to. And naturally, you might think that's the way to earn trust and have success. And I, it is a fine line of, of offering support and touch points without just creating this like unlimited world. Cause you're right. Things are going to come up. Things might get worse before they get better. And I love that you highlighted setting the expectation mm-hmm. because then when it's happening, they'll know, Oh, Stacy said this might happen. That cultivates mm-hmm. trust and it's not abnormal. It's part mm-hmm. of the process. Yes. So you don't need to tell me when it happens. <laughs> We've already had the discussion. We know this is probably going to happen. When it does, you just deal with it and it's mm-hmm. okay. And I'll see mm-hmm. you next time. <laughs> yeah. And it gives you an opportunity to say, let's set a meeting for after that, after yeah. that process kind of happens. Because here's how I think of it. I have friends that are in the beauty industry, but don't necessarily do aesthetics. Maybe they do makeup application. Maybe they do hair. I don't know any other beauty professional that deals with this poop. Like, I don't have my hairdresser being like, oh my gosh, my client's hair is frizzy today. She sent me a picture and is like, what should I do? What product should I use? Whoa, that's really resonating with me. Yeah, I'm not texting my hairstylist when I get a split end. It's like, it's going to happen. You need another haircut. Yeah. So to me, this idea that we need to be on call for every single client that we have is absurd. And a lot of times when clients do contact me constantly, I say, um, I'll, I'll just like refer them out. I'll just be like, you know what? This looks like a reaction. You should probably see your doctor or a dermatologist. 
And do they understand? Yeah. Good. I'll say, no, this isn't normal. Make an appointment with your doctor or derm. Let me know how it goes next time I see you. Like, I don't, I don't need to be at your beck and call because you paid me one time for an hour of my time. I want to also talk about, since I know you're really known for luxury, a luxury experience, mm. and we'll talk about that more. Stacy has a new education course out with Golden Experience Guide. Stacy, what do you do when you encounter clients who are on a budget and maybe want to be there for the luxury experience, but don't have a luxury budget. How do those conversations go? Is there a way to include them as part of your business? That's such a good question because that is, you know, obviously luxury is associated with a high price point, right? Um, and I, uh, and my prices are very high for my area. They're like the most, right? So um, you need to be able to back that with quality care. Um, but for me personally, when I think of luxury, it's my idea of luxury as an esthetician is being able to give my clients results, make them feel seen and change their lives. And I don't feel like I need to necessarily do that with a $300 cream. Yes, I do have $300 creams, but I also carry face reality. And that was something that I um, made a conscious decision. Like when I first brought it on, I kept it hidden. <laughs> I, it's not a luxury. Like it's not thought of as a luxury line. But to me, results are luxury. And I had a lot of clients that were coming in for high ticket you know, services and buying very expensive regimens, but they wanted something for their kids that was less expensive and maybe their kids were starting to break out and they didn't really want to bring their kids in for a $250 hour facial with their acne every two weeks or month even. Um, so I decided to partner with Face Reality and offer more of like the boot camp type treatments. And um, I still price them at a premium because you're paying for my experience and that is has a value to it. Um, but I, I liked the idea that I could send someone home with a regimen that was like $100, maybe $150 um, that would deliver results. And so for me, that was important because I feel like that's part of encompassing what I believe luxury to be. Um, now, some estheticians are very hyper aware of the lines and the price points that they work with, and they need to stay in a certain range to be profitable. I think because I work with so many other lines and I'm successful with them, I can afford to work with a line that, you know, if I sell five products, maybe I'm pocketing a 50 to $100 profit margin. That's not very much. I can do that with one product through my other lines, you know? Um, so I get it. I get that it's not a model that works for everyone. Um, but yeah, I definitely feel like I have something for everyone and I always ask what my client's budget is because I want them to leave with something and I feel like I have products at every price point that I can address concerns no matter what your budget is. However, 
I do make it a point to tell someone your budget is only going to allow for the basics so we can maintain your skin, but we're not going to be able to treat it. And um, when that happens, I will oftentimes sample products that I think they could really benefit from that I know are going to show results pretty quickly. And I will tell them, you know, when the sample runs out, if you see the value in this product and you want to maintain these results, maybe you consider upping your budget for your home care and, you know, you get on this product routinely because I'm not going to keep feeding them samples month after month, right? Yeah, I I have tried offering samples once before and for me, Mm -hmm. it wasn't a positive Mm -hmm. outcome and maybe that was my bad for, I don't know, not communicating some expectation of after the samples are done. But I found sometimes people almost expect more support with the samples and for it to Mm -hmm. continue. Have you ever had that kind of backfire? No, because I don't allow it. (laughs) You know what I mean? If someone was like, oh, I really loved that sample. Can I have another one? Um, then I'll say, no, I'm out of that sample, but you can buy it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, it's like you get to sample a product once the samples are there so that you know whether or not your skin agrees with it. They're not there to affect my business in a negative way. Like I can't, I, I can't afford to do that. I'm just really candid with people. And, um, I think that, I attract that type of client because I am that way, you know, um, that they're okay with hearing that if they aren't and I lose them as a client, it makes space for someone who is going to be a better fit. So I never let that stop me from sticking to my guns because ultimately if we are letting our clients dictate how we run our business, you're not going to be fulfilled. And again, it comes back to how do you do this for 23 years? Because I love it because I leave work every day, really happy about what I accomplished. And if I let my clients walk all over me every day, I wouldn't be leaving work happy. It's such a good lesson. Was that something that just kind of came to you one day? Have you always been good with setting boundaries? Nope. I have not. Um, My mom referred to me as a doormat when I was little. (laughs) She was like, you, my mom told me when I was very young, you really love to rescue the stray dogs. And I worry about you. You let people walk all over you and take advantage of you. And she never said that to my other sisters. This was something that was like a unique quality to me. Um, I think by nature, I am a people pleaser. And I think the older I got, the more comfortable I got putting myself first. But I don't think that that is something that comes easy for people pleasers. It's a very uncomfortable process to go through. And um, I think what makes it easier for me now is that the discomfort and the resentment that I feel towards because, okay, let me break this down. When I was people-pleasing in my 20s and in my 30s, the the feeling that I got of someone liking me outweighed the feeling that I got of me not liking myself, if that makes sense. Um, 
I, I, I wasn't as jaded. So I didn't necessarily feel resentful. I don't think I maybe had a strong enough sense of self to really be mad at myself for, for letting people just kind of, you know, dictate how I behaved. But the more comfortable I got with who I am and really empowered when I opened my business of like, okay, I'm doing this thing. I'm really good at it. Holy crap. Like this is empowering. Like I feel like I can do anything now. Um, I had a, such a stronger sense of self and more pride in, in who I am and what I have to offer people that when people start to take advantage of me or try and manipulate me, which I think is what a lot of clients actually do, they they try to manipulate you, right? It's always that person who's like, I'm so sorry I have to cancel. My babysitter didn't show up for my kids and I'm a single mom and I just got over COVID. And it's like a laundry list of reasons why you should waive the cancellation policy without them just saying, can you waive the cancellation policy? I'm really struggling. That's a manipulation, Right. I think when I was younger, I just wanted people to be happy so bad that to me it was like, oh, no problem. I've got you. And that felt so good that it didn't even really dawn on me that I was disrespecting myself in the process. And as a business owner, you are under a microscope. You are so hyper aware of all your flaws. (laughs) Would you agree? Yeah. And we have this fear. If I disappoint somebody, if I set a boundary, if I don't give them what they're asking for, somehow this is going to reflect negatively on me, perhaps in a review or word of mouth, and everything's going to be tainted after that. We like create this story, right? Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of fear behind it. Um, But for me, I guess I I got to a place where because I felt more empowered and more sure of myself and my offerings, when I would have those types of exchanges with clients and I would cave, I would feel like shit, but it was on me. It was like, why did I allow this to happen? Why did I take a pay cut? Why is it my fault that you couldn't get your shit together and remember that you had an appointment today? You know, like I would just feel so bad about myself that the discomfort of saying no to someone or the discomfort of saying, just a reminder, here's my policy. I'm going to send you a receipt for that non-refundable deposit um, started to be less detrimental than the self-loathing. And so that's when I realized, oh, it actually feels kind of good to just stand up for myself, to enforce these policies that I put into place so that I could succeed in life. And if someone has a problem with me succeeding in life, they're not my client, bye bitch. And I just like took ownership of it and just got that like, you know, energy of just like, I'm a boss. This is, this is the new rules. This is the new Stacy. Um, but it took decades to get there, Tess. It's not easy. So I definitely feel a lot of sympathy for estheticians that struggle with this. And I almost feel like this needs to be something that we just journal about after every client experience, just journal. Here's what the client said. Here's what I did. Here's how it made me feel. Do it over and over again. Make yourself hyper aware of how these experiences affect you. And then maybe it gives you that, I don't know, that 
that like you could take the power back, right? Like we're always, I feel like journaling is such a great tool for anyone who really needs to like work out stuff in their head and come to a realization. So I think when you get to that realization that you come first and you created these policies for a reason, it's important to just start implementing them. And I didn't really do that with my business until 2022. So I'm still very new at it. <laughs> You're doing a great job. I I always think, what would Stacy say or what would Stacy do? And uh, I love that you said, I come first as the business owner because, you know, we're told this story, the customer is always right. Mm-hmm. But if you own a business, you know, that simply just is not a sustainable way to stay in business. There's times you do have to protect yourself. And and I think as long as it's also a, a reasonable boundary and something you've said ahead of time, it's actually a disservice to you to adjust that per every client situation. It's what you actually should do ethically is stick to the same rules for everyone. That's, that's the best point because here's the thing, we're people pleasers, right? So we think we're pleasing someone by waiving our policy because they're having a hard day, but you forget, oh, that client also knows several other people that are my clients. And maybe they're going to be like, oh, Stacey's so sweet. She waived her policy. And then that friend of theirs is going to be like, what the hell? She didn't waive her policy for me. So you need to be consistent. It's important for your business to treat everyone the same. And I even say that to my clients sometimes is like, you know, I know this is really hard for you and I'm sorry, but this is something that I do with every client. And if I made you an exception, like, that wouldn't be fair to everyone else. Yeah. Can I ask, because I know you're also so retail focused, you have such a beautiful website and so many amazing offerings. One thing mm-hmm. that caught my eye initially about Stacy was how well curated her range of lines is. So many unique, beautiful, luxury, results-driven lines and some I haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you deal with clients perhaps like taking your recommendations and and purchasing elsewhere is that something you enforce as a policy so this is so interesting right um and actually this doesn't happen often but in the last week i've had two clients talk to me about buying product elsewhere because they get a discount and i'm just like dang you got some balls lady <laughs> i can't believe it I'm like damn i can't believe you told me but Go off. Yeah, they're like, and one of them was a virtual client that had done a virtual consultation two years ago. Finally, came in to saw me, see me for a treatment, and told me that she's been buying my recommendations from Derm Store for the last two years. I was flabbergasted. Um, so it made me realize that yes, I need to change my policy, but I think what um, is is more comfortable for me personally is like, I I don't want to have it on my consultation form. Like when you come into Sitco Skin, you have to buy the recommendations that I make here. That is weird to me. Like your money. What I realized is I did a disservice to myself pricing my consultation where I did because I priced it there assuming that the client is going to buy product. But the reality is they have every opportunity to not 
take my recommendations or take my recommendations and go buy elsewhere. So it made me realize I really need to raise my prices. And if I want, I can include, you know, that a portion of my virtual consult goes towards product purchases. Um, But, or I could just raise my price, whatever it's going to be, but I need to be fairly compensated for my time and charge accordingly. Never assume that someone is going to buy product from you. Um, Now, if a client is an amazing client and they mostly buy product from me, but there's one line that, you know, is on sale somewhere else. And so they're like, you know, I'm, I'm hurting this week or month. I'm going to go buy this product off Derm store, whatever the case may be. I'm not going to fire that client, but the client that is always buying from somewhere else. Yeah. I'm going to fire that client because my business is based off of services and retail sales. So they are not the right fit for me. They need to go see someone who is not concerned with, you know, having dual income from both your hands-on work and your home care recommendations, but that's not my business model. So I think that it's totally fair to just refer them out. And that's what I did. I told her, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to accommodate you next time, but I'm going to give you the name of a friend who can. I think part of it is maybe clients not understanding. It is it is how we're able to survive as businesses. Sometimes I'll even have clients who see me as a new client, like so excited to share. They've already purchased things they know I like elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And that's that's great. It just doesn't support my small business and it needs to. And that's my expectation moving forward too. Yeah. I think that you are so generous with the amount of education that you give the public, with the amount of recommendations that you give the public without, you know, knowing that your followers may or may not ever buy from you or pay you for a private consultation. You're so generous. Um, that you should absolutely be charging a premium when people come to you because, you know, that that's what you're worth. You know, like you've already established yourself as someone who is highly skilled and capable of delivering results. So you charge a premium for that. And mm-hmm. I think that um, the clients that are those green flag clients are the ones that want to see you succeed. They want to keep getting that free information. They want to keep getting that free education. They want to partner with you because they see value in what you offer. Um, so yeah, go support Tess. Don't be <laughs> some weirdo that listens to her podcast and then buys from somebody else. That is just whack. <laughs> It's something that comes with the territory and that I'm learning to navigate with with social media. But I think you're right that the only answer and the only thing we are in control of is our prices and our menus. So I think we have to anticipate some people are going to prefer to shop on Derm Store who aren't my direct clients. But mm-hmm. how do I support myself with what is in my control? Yeah. And I feel like for someone like you, who's making so much informative content, which doesn't put money in your pocket, if someone is obsessed with you on social media, they look at all your reels, they look at all your posts, they're like, 
learning from you and they're benefiting from you. To me, I think it would only be right that they would use any link that you provide to buy those products. I've been in a situation with a client before when, for example, they're going out of town, they're going on vacation, so it's more convenient to purchase mm-hmm. elsewhere. Um, but then how how does that support the relationship going forward? And it's a hard thing, I think, for clients to realize like, oh, I actively need to do my part to support the business that's supporting me. And it is a new way of of thinking for a lot of people. And I I probably wouldn't have gotten it before I became an esthetician. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's like, if I want my favorite restaurant to stay in business, I'm going to eat there. Right. I think about that too. Basic. (laughs) Yeah. You're not going to bring your McDonald's to Sweetgreen. Yeah. If you want to keep getting free information from Tess, you need to support her business in some way. Like that's, that's the trade-off. Otherwise you, you, you know, you come to her YouTube, you come to her Instagram, whatever. And all of a sudden it's only subscription based and you have to pay for it because that's what she needs to do to put food on her table. So it's like, if you, you know, it's, it's kind of like, um, Napster when Napster first started, right. It's like everyone was stealing music from musicians by listening to it without paying for it. I kind of feel like it's the same thing now with social media and YouTube and everything. It's Mm -hmm. like, you're getting all this free information. If you want to benefit from it, you better be putting money in the pocket that got you there, that gave you the information. Otherwise, guess what? That information is going to go bye-bye and you're going to be kicking yourself in the butt that you didn't just wait an extra day to get that cleanser in the mail from your tried and true. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, yeah. The germ stores, like what do they do for you really? Are they the ones that are going to navigate what your skin needs? Are they the ones that are going to like, you know, make adjustments when you get pregnant or you move to a different climate? No, that's your esthetician. So if you, if you were partnered with products that you really enjoy that work for your skin because your esthetician told you about them, then that's who you should be buying them from. To me, it just makes sense. Like if you want that business to stick around, if you want to have access to that expertise, you need to pay for it. The ones that get it, get it. And I think the... There really are people who do get it out there. So if you're in the same boat as me or, or you kind of resonate with what we're saying, just know there are people who will respect that, who will gladly, gladly support you. And for one person who feels like an acne regimen is so expensive, to somebody else, it's like the deal of the century and it Absolutely. completely changes their life. So yeah. And, you know, you, you build your business around price points that work for you. So you're going to partner with lines that, you know, respect you, that, um, you know, are good representation of your, you know, what you want to achieve with your business are priced accordingly and um, that you believe in, right. That are going to deliver the results that you want for your clients. So if I partner with a line that is a certain price point, then I'm already setting myself up to work with a clientele that can afford it. I love that. And speaking of, I want to end touching on 
the luxury experience. Mm. Could you possibly tease a little bit about your course and and what people can expect to learn? I love the way you shared on Ashley's podcast. What a great resource this is because the Forbes way in this this way of creating a luxury experience, it's something that is highly expensive for a spa, but Mm -hmm. you can invest in Stacy's course. That's what, $400? Mm -hmm. And learn so, so much. So it is a very reasonable investment. But yeah, could you just tell us a little bit about it? Sure. So one of the things that um, Montage did when I was working there is every year we'd be private shopped by an outside company that was versed in Forbes like basically their ranking system of how a a spa gets to the five star. And it's very detailed descriptions of what needs to happen in your time at that facility and with your practitioner. Um, And so these secret shoppers would come in and then we would have classes afterwards and they would talk about things that people did well and things that people didn't do well. And they would go over all the rules and basically the foundation of what it took to get a five-star rating. And these types of businesses are out there, but nobody utilizes them in the spa world outside of the crazy resort spas that are actually getting ranked by Forbes. Forbes is only going to the best of the best. They're not going to, you know, like mom and pop day spa. They're going to places that have facilities and that are world renowned across the world. Like it's crazy, right? Yeah. Destinations. It's a very, very small percentage of the community that gets access to a training like this. And so to me, it was important that I share my most unique skill sets on the Golden Experience Guide uh, because I really wanted to provide something for the community that just wasn't already out there. Um, And so to be able to offer this foundational you know, guidance of mm-hmm. communication, design, you know, all the things that go into your client's experience um, at an affordable price point of $400. I was like, this is, this is like, I feel like the biggest contribution I could make to the community um, and really like raise the standard for the community of how we look at our client experience. Because Sometimes we get so busy and we get so caught up in our experience as the boss, the solo esthetician, you know, the person that's doing it all that we kind of forget what it's like for our client because it's been maybe years since we've had our own facial experience. Like I've gone, you know, there's been periods in my life where I've gone a very long time without getting a facial and I know that a lot of people listening can probably relate when I say, when was the last time you got a facial? Not from someone that you work with. You just went into a business and you paid full price for a facial. Uh, Maybe when you were on vacation, maybe, you know, like it just doesn't happen all the time. Not at a trade show, not from a brand rep, like a legit facial experience. Yeah, you learn so much from doing that. So much. And so we get really jaded. We forget about all the little details that make an experience really special and unique to a client 
um, where they remember it, they want to share, they want to talk to their friends about that experience. And so that was kind of like the basis of my approach to this class. Now, what's cool about these courses is that I can add modules later. So I'm definitely going to be adding some hands-on modules because I think with my massage background, I also have a unique perspective as an esthetician. Um, so I definitely want to incorporate some unique massage modalities and techniques that I've learned over the years. Um, and it won't go up in price for you to have access to those modules if you buy the course now. So the idea is that anyone who's really proactive, who wants access to further trainings with me can purchase the course now. And as those modules continue to drop, they'll have access to everything at the base price. But once I do add the module, then the price of the course goes up for anyone new that comes and wants to purchase it. It's a really cool way to present information to people. Yeah. I love that. It's continuing education. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. And I also loved that I was able to make it approachable for someone at any point in their career. Because for me, I was like, you know, I, I could do it from my perspective as a solo esthetician, but there's so many people out there that are brand new that are trying to get their first job and just need, you know, like a little ego boost and like some, some training in how to present themselves as a professional, um, and stand in their professionalism. So that's in the course. And also because I now have the experience of being a boss and training a new hire, that process is so grueling. So I was like, okay, I'm going to make sure that everything that I taught my employee is at some point in this class so that whenever I onboard a new hire, all they have to do is watch the class. I could just sit back, put them in front of the class and like, I don't have to do anything. Um, so it's going to be great for business owners as well as solo estheticians, as well as new estheticians. Amazing. I can't wait to take it myself. I, I feel like who wouldn't want to up-level their business and provide a more exciting, higher standard of care? Stacy, could you share one thing mm -hmm. from the course or just generally from your knowledge that estheticians could implement right now mm -hmm. to improve that luxury experience? Yeah. Um, this is something that you're naturally really good at. Um, but I think a lot of us can sometimes forget, and that is communication. So the biggest way I think you can up your experience for your client is to actively listen. I've seen this happen with a lot of people that I've interviewed. So um, I just opened a position a couple months back for an esthetician, and I had over 64 applicants before I just like cut it off and was like, I'm so sick and tired of looking at applications. I'm done for a while. Um, but with the experience of communicating with estheticians that are looking for work, and this is a decent handful. I feel like this is a good like test subject, right? Like 64 estheticians. Um, the thing that was the biggest turnoff and the quickest no for me was someone who didn't actively listen and this is obviously different because it's, you know, it's a written job description. So they're reading, but they're not taking in the information 
and then following accordingly. So I'm just going to give you some quick examples. If it said on my application process that I wanted you to fill out this, you know, skill set form, or you needed to have two years of experience, and someone doesn't fill out the skill set form, or they don't have two years of experience, then I know they're not listening. So they're like an immediate out, right? And when I was training, I'll give you another example of like estheticians doing this in the treatment room. When I was training, I was working with an esthetician and we were role playing. And I told her, I want to see how your um, analysis is in, in the treatment. So do my cleanse, then do a thorough skin analysis and talk me through your process. So she asked me, um, she starts looking at my skin and she asked me, what are you using at home? So I said, well, I have a vitamin C serum. I have a moisturizer, sunscreen, and a foamy wash. Like I just made something up, right? And she's like, okay, what are your concerns? And I said, mm, sun damage and the occasional blemish. She says to me, I really think you could benefit from using a vitamin C serum. I was like, girl, I just told you I'm using a vitamin C serum. Why on God's green earth, first of all, why would you make a product recommendation during the like this in analysis? That's not the time to be recommending products. Like you just cleansed my face and now you're already telling me what I should use on my skin. No. And secondly, <laughs> why are you going to recommend something I already have? I mean, at least ask what brand are you using? You know, maybe like some cheap vitamin C that doesn't have like a formulation perspective, you know, but to just like blatantly throw that out there, I was like, okay, this person doesn't actively listen. They're not going to get hired. And so I think that um, the easiest way to make a client feel seen is to be a good listener. Yeah. And I think it can even come you can not be a good listener if you are too attached to yourself and nerves, I think, as well. And getting too caught up telling yourself a story or or feeling like, oh, I shouldn't be nervous right now. Am I doing this right? Am I touching her correctly? But perfect example of why it's so important to detach from the self and really in, invest in the client and be present with the client because that's where trust is lost. She felt oversold to too early and mm -hmm. she didn't feel seen. Mm -hmm. So I had a roundtable discussion recently about like luxurious, luxurious experiences and experiences that weren't luxurious. And all of the experiences that weren't luxurious boiled down to one singular concept. And that is that the practitioner wasn't present. And I think that like you just hit the nail on the head test, because if you are present in the room with your client, you can avoid making so many mistakes that come out of not being present. I feel like I've learned a lot about what luxury really is and how to provide that experience from everything you've said and even that example, it's not just the price tag, it's the value. It's, is this time together being maximized? Is she truly listening to me or is she pushing her own 
agenda because then I don't feel the time or the investment was worth anything at all. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I hope this was a luxurious experience for you. Oh my gosh. I could listen to your voice all day. It's like butter. That's how I feel about yours. You have a, a great voice for radio. We should have done face masks or something. We should have. Can you plug yourself, Stacy, and tell us where we can find you on social media and mm-hmm. your website? Sure. So my last name is Sitko, S-I-T-K-O. And so my business is Sitko Skin. So it's at Sitko Skin on Instagram and SitkoSkin.com on the web. So easy. I'll put everything in the show notes as well as a link to Stacy's class with Golden Experience Guide. Stace, thanks so much for coming on. This was so much fun. Oh my gosh, this was so much fun. I'm like ready for IRL experiences with you. (laughs) Next up. (laughs) So ready. Thank you guys for listening. We loved having Stacy, and we look forward to hearing your guys' thoughts on the episode. Talk to you next week. 